Hi, and welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and philanthropeneurs of the regenerative movement. People who are committed to and showcase qualities of planetary leadership. My name is Julian Guderlei. I'm a transformational coach, a breathwork teacher, and I'm committed to a world that allows people from all walks of life to thrive. I'm your host and creator of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, and in today's episode, I'm here with James Nestor. James is the author of a new book on breathing called Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art. James Nestor is also the author of a famously known book, Deep, about free diving, as well as The Click Effect, a virtual reality experience about the efforts of two freelance free diving researchers trying to decode the secret language of dolphins and whales. And I'm sure that's going to set up us for set us up for a great conversation with these words. Welcome, James. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. I just read your book about breath. You heard it. I'm a breathwork teacher myself. And I just said it right before we hit record. I think if there's one single thing every human should know about and learn about is, is the art of breathing and how it changes basically everything about life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's as essential as what we eat and how much we exercise. And this is something that numerous breathing instructors and scientists and researchers have told me over years and years. And I finally found it for, for myself and had seen the effects in other people. So yeah, <laughs> I, I, I could, I could go on a little longer there if you like. Please do, please do, yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't want to ramble on too, too pointlessly, but, but I think that it is, breathing is something that is usually unconscious, so we don't realize it's there, which is wonderful that we have this mechanism in our brains that can allow us to breathe and not think about it. At the same time, without thinking about it, without consciously spending any time to focus on it, so many of us can develop really improper breathing habits. Uh, which will keep us alive, but they won't really keep us healthy. And that's that's what I really discovered is for so long, Western medicine had thought it was only important that we were breathing. If you're breathing, that's good. If you're not breathing, that's bad. You're, you're dead or unconscious or you've got another problem. But we've learned more recently that it's how you take those breaths, which is so essential to so much of it's tied to longevity. It's tied to immune response. It's tied to you know, metabolic disorder, I mean, on and on and on. It's, it's really the anchor between all these different functions in our body. Yeah, I, I like the, you know, the metaphor that breathing always happens, but then when we go into conscious breathing, like something really different happens. And um, maybe walk us briefly through some of the learnings that, that you you know, can highlight from the book without giving the story of the book away, but you, you literally went through like a whole experience yourself of, you know, like 20 days, just first only mouth breathing and then only nostril breathing and tracked your body and then all the pieces with it. And I find that fascinating that you made yourself the guinea pig, really. Yeah, I, you know, that was never the intention of this book. I wasn't going to be any part of it at, at, at all. And I, I made that very clear to my editor, but Once we started really getting in deep here, I noticed that there were a number of experiments and studies no one else had done. And there was this this gap in our scientific understanding of of breathing, both the deleterious effects and and both the advantages of breathing in a healthy way. So I had been talking with the chief of rhinology research at Stanford, um, a guy named Jayakar Nayak, brilliant dude, spent 20 years just studying the nose and all the wondrous functions of the nose. 
He was always complaining that people don't ever consider the nose as this essential organ that we need to use all the time, but we absolutely do. So, and there really wasn't controversy as far as how bad mouth breathing was and how good no nasal breathing is. Uh, that, that's been founded for a long time, but we just didn't know how quickly the benefits of nasal breathing and how, how all the damage that could be caused by mouth breathing. We didn't know how, how soon that would come on. So we decided to do a, a test. Um, I spent 10 days with, with silicone up my nose um, so I could just breathe through my mouth only. And one other person, uh, Anders Olsen, a breathing therapist from Sweden, one, one of the better breathers in the world became just like everybody else. And um, you, you know, our point in doing this wasn't so much to do like a stunt, um, do some jackass thing. It was 25 to 50% of the population habitually breathes through its mouth. So what we were doing was just measuring what happens to the body when we breathe through our mouth. And, and surprisingly, no one had done a short-term experiment measuring this. And it's so much worse than anyone thought. So it's really, really bad news. I could give you, um, you know, from a blood pressure perspective, my blood pressure shot through the roof. I immediately started snoring. I got sleep apnea, was fatigued. I was anxious, athletic endurance plummeted. I mean, on and on and on. All these things you had heard about, but it's different seeing it happen to your body and seeing it registered on all of these machines that were gauging our, our health the whole time. That's fascinating. I think, you know, one, one or two of the things that stuck with me was just waking up in the morning with like this, this dry feeling in your mouth is a clear indicator that you're breathing habitually through your mouth uh, at night, right? And we actually right away purchased these, um, these mouth tapes basically to try it out to only breathe through your nose at night. And it's, let's put it, put it uh, you know, like lightly, it's, it's at least a little weird. It's definitely discomforting at the beginning to like force your mouth shut. But being a yogi, being a breathwork facilitator, I totally understand, not just intellectually, but like I, I can feel the difference of, you know, holding my breath, slowing my breath down, coming to these, these pauses and, and lengthening in my breath. So I had to try it out. Yeah, it's and you know, to so many of us, it's it it's become normal for us to snore and have sleep apnea, which is this choking at night that's caused by the tongue falling back in the throat. Something like a quarter of the population has sleep apnea, but this is not normal. It's it's never been normal, and it's getting worse and worse every year. And from what we know, the skeletal record our ancestors likely didn't suffer from so many of these problems because they had these huge jaws, these huge airways. And we know that from looking at their, their skeletons and, and looking at where their throats would have been. So, you know, I had, for as long as I, I could remember, I would wake up every single morning with a very dry mouth. I'd go to sleep with a huge glass of water by my bed just thinking everyone was doing that, but, mm -hmm. but it's not natural and, and it causes a lot of damage, so much more than people could possibly think. Because even if you have healthy breathing habits during the day, if a third of your life you're, you're never gonna be healthy. And, and snoring, people who snore and have sleep apnea, it's not just overweight people, it is uh, endurance athletes, it's weightlifters, 
it's vegans, it's paleo. I mean, it's every single cross section of the population. Um, people suffer from this stuff and it's bad news and you need to fix it. Otherwise, uh, you can never really share in, in, in true health. Yeah. Again, it, it's, it's such a deep rabbit hole breath and our connection to, you know, I mean, even, even the word inspired, uh, you know, comes back to the Latin word breath. So when we're inspired and fully ready to create something, we're, we're in, let's say, like a, a healthy relationship to our breath, right? Mm-hmm. But along that kind of rabbit hole of healthy relationship with breath, another thing that really stood out to me that you researched, uh, you know, is the connection between breath, breath cycles and prayer. This idea that there is, you know, a certain frequency or length, and length of breath, I think it was between 5.5 and 6 seconds, um, that, that changes the way we're present, right? It's almost like hard brain coherence is starting to happen at that point. For sure. If, if you look at prayers throughout the years, different cultures set up at different times by different people, you look at the Ave Maria, and researchers have done this pretty famous study that, that I cited in the book. Um, if you look at Omani Padmiham, uh, Buddhist prayer, Satanama, Kundalini prayer, Om, I mean, I could go on and on. So many of them adhere to this pattern in which you exhale, which you vocalize for about five to six seconds. And then you have that pause in between to take in a breath of air. And they found that when they hooked up different subjects to EEGs, EKGs, everything, all these different sensors, that the body enters this state of coherence, the cardiorespiratory system, um, in which everything is able to function at peak efficiency. So breathing like this right now, you can pray if you want. It's not necessary to enter into this, this state of peak efficiency of just taking in a five to six second inhale and exhaling to about five to six seconds. Just doing this is gonna decrease your blood pressure and continuing to do that, more blood is gonna go to your brain, gonna increase circulation, you're gonna stimulate a positive immune response, bolster all your defenses just by breathing this way. And I, I thought it was fascinating to learn the mechanics of when we take these slow, deep breaths, our diaphragms will sink down when we inhale. Mm. When we exhale, that diaphragm will come back up. So that diaphragm is like this huge pump in our chest and it helps to pump blood into our heart. So it's like this assistant pump to our heart, which is wonderful because the less stress you put on your heart, the better to allow it to do its job without constantly pushing against pressure. And I've, I've done this and found that after about two or three minutes, my blood pressure can go down 10 or 15 points. And I, this is just not something I, I think a lot of people are <laughs> paying attention to. <laughs> like immediately you have high blood pressure, you're, you're given a pill and, and you scoot it out the door, but, but breathing can be such an effective tool for that as well. Right, like that is still the society we largely live in, the like fix the symptoms with a pill kind of scenario. I think breath goes so much deeper. Um, it's really obvious to see the other side of it, right? Like if you're nervous, if you're anxious, if you're not feeling too well about someone else, you usually have a breath pattern that reflects it as well, where you realize, oh, wow, I'm actually almost hyperventilating through the mouth or 
whatever it, it might be, right? Like, especially when we're nervous. Um, I feel like very rarely the breath is really slow and kind of like box breathing that you described, right? Six seconds in, six seconds out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and there's been a ton of studies showing this. People with anorexia or anxiety or fear-based disorders or asthma. I mean, I can go on and on from, from mental health issues to, to physical problems, respiratory problems. They're all breathing too much. And they're breathing oftentimes through their mouths and they're taking these very short stilted breaths. Well, guess what happens when we breathe that way? We're just ramping up our nervous systems. So when people say, you know, that this is, must be a placebo effect because breath is breath, it's complete garbage because you can, anyone can measure the difference of your heart rate, your blood pressure, your heart rate variability, so many other markers, EEG, brain activity, by breathing a different way. So this is measured stuff. People have been measuring this for decades and decades and finding that people who adopt these very simple breathing patterns, these healthy breathing patterns, can really share in, a, in transformational differences in, in their health. Hmm. So just to understand the topic deeper from your perspective. So one is people breathe too much unconsciously through the mouth. In general, we, we breathe through the mouth a lot as, as humans at the moment, right? And then breathing through our nose is, and especially this like coherent breath pattern, which is more like a meditation or a prayer is kind of the way forward. But what do you think James about like holotropic breathing where you like have these exaggerated kind of intakes of oxygen for a few minutes um, or any form of other breath work practice that, you know, almost gets you outside of the body in that sense. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people who are big fans of slow breathing don't like this heavy breathing. And a lot of people who are into this heavy breathing don't like the slow breathing. But as a journalist, my job was just to go in and explore all of these with, with zero slant to, to just try to study the science, try to study with the clinicians doing this, talk to the patients who received this therapy, and try to learn what happens when we breathe in these different ways, how it affects our minds, how it affects our hearts, how it affects the rest of our bodies. So I have found there are tremendous benefits to eliciting this heavy breathing and, and putting yourself in that state of stress. And a lot of people think, well, I'm stressed all day. Why would I want to sit down and breathe and stress myself out? The point of these exercises is to purposely give yourself stress, to put yourself in a state of stress so that you can better control this stress so that the other 23 and 45 minutes of the of the day, you know, uh, you're going to stay in, in a state of relaxation and restoration. So, so many of us live our lives in this state of low grade chronic stress, which is so bad for us. We're cutting off circulation to essential organs. We're flooding ourselves with cortisol, which means we can't develop bone, which I mean, on and on and on. It's such bad news. So to just have that stress focused, turn it on to turn it off is extremely beneficial. Um, and, uh, you know, researcher at University of California, San Francisco has now been studying this, the Wim Hof method. Um, she calls it hormesis or hormetic stress, which is this focused, acute, intense stress um, and how it elicits such a healthy response in us because this is how our bodies have evolved to be. 
Very few of us nowadays really have to stress out about anything. So we stress out about everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and that's a problem that we evolved to like run from a tiger or hunt something down or get in a fight and then spend the rest of the day chilling out. So I've found that holotropic, I mean, holotropic is a little different than Wim Hof and Tumo. I don't even want to call it Wim Hof. It's, it's Tumo. It's a breathing exercise that's been around for a thousand years. Uh, he popularized it, which is fantastic. And he's doing great work. Absolutely. But these very intense breathing exercises I've found to be very therapeutic. And there are dozens and dozens of studies to back that up. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're mentioning this discomfort. I feel like discomfort, you know, and going into that is almost like a metaphor for a lot of entrepreneurial life as well. When we're able to deal with discomfort and are not steadily exposed to it, our performance changes entirely. Our performance and relationships changes entirely as well. I'm curious to your personal kind of relationship to discomfort and breath from the perspective of free diving, because somehow you're drawn to these like, um, you know, interesting topics like free diving, like, uh, you know, the click effect, the, the whale language, uh, breath itself. And I remember I watched an interview of yours a little while ago where, where you said at the beginning when you entered the world of free diving, it, like it just brought up discomfort for you, right? And I'm not necessarily a diver. I'm a surfer. I'm a swimmer. I love all these things. But diving for expanded amounts of time without extra oxygen, like even the thought of it makes me like slightly uncomfortable. Like how has that topic kind of showed up for you in breath over the years? Yeah, to me, it's all about being acclimated and, and to make something that's uncomfortable comfortable. And that, that is sometimes a long journey. But once you become flexible enough to do that, things really open up. I think that so many of us nowadays just try to avoid discomfort by any means possible. And we're denying ourselves the other half of, of life. So I'm not one of those people that, you know, takes uh, a five-minute ice bath every morning, even though there's, there's profound benefits from doing that. That's just a little too uncomfortable to me. But I'm curious about things that, not, not discomfort for the sake of it, but by training your body, by willing your body to do things that maybe at the beginning aren't very comfortable for you, but then what are the rewards and the benefits coming from that afterwards? So, and free diving was definitely one of those things. I saw where it could bring you. I saw where it could take the human body. I, I saw that these people were able to dive far below what scientists thought possible, hold their breath far beyond what anyone thought possible and come out the other side. And, and these experiences they were having were transformative. So through this discomfort and training for free diving is not comfortable. It's and anyone who says it is, is, is lying. You have to really try, but every day you do it, it gets a little bit easier and a little bit easier. And the point of all that training is me personally in the water. I never want to be uncomfortable. I'm never pushing myself. I can push myself on land on my couch, holding my breath. No problem. Never want to do that in the water. And I think it's a bad idea. So proper free divers are going to say that same thing that that diving is an underwater meditation it's really a form of of underwater yoga and you need to approach it in that same regard Hmm. yeah that makes a lot of sense to me Uh, pushing it on land on the couch testing training getting ready for it but but then when you're underwater to kind of go into the state of surrender more than this um 
ambitious, you know, this ambitious nature that we also have in the more comp competitive kind of energy. And you, you stumbled onto something really interesting there. I said it a few times already about whales and the click effect, like the communication of whales. And so if I remember that correctly, it's, it has also to do with that free divers attract marine life in a way different way than uh, regular research boats, et cetera. Yeah, and this was the big attraction for me for free diving. It, it wasn't like being able to dive deeper than someone or being able to hold my breath longer than someone. It was the ability to go into this different world, which is the underwater world, and be accepted as a, as a living part of that world, not as an outsider. Because when you hold your breath and you dive, you are becoming a part of the underwater environment. You're doing the same thing that marine mammals are doing. They go to the surface, take a breath, and they come back down. And they recognize that. When they see you do that and come back down, they recognize it and usually let you into their, their groups, their pods, their shoals, their shivers. And, and you're able to interact with them in a very intimate way that you wouldn't be able to otherwise. So it's that, that connection between the, the ocean reconnecting with yourself and reconnecting with these animals that that I think really opens this door to this whole other universe um, that so few people see and that's where I got absolutely obsessed with with wanting to do this and have those experiences and once you do you really don't don't go back um, they they change you in a lot of ways yeah they do and you know I, again I'm not a freediver comma yet maybe because you actually make the topic quite, quite a bit more accessible than the competitive kind of way to access it. But, but the whales and the dolphins that I have met both in the dream world as well as in the real world um, above water for me so far, they, they, change, they change you, as you say. There's something about the way we revere nature and the way we understand other intelligent life forms and, for, for me, that had a lot to do with trusting nature as well. And, and so that's kind of my next question for you. You know, I think trust is a big topic in our human society from all kinds of angles. Um, what is required for you, James, to, to trust, to experience trust? I think you have to have a certain amount of, of confidence in the thing that you're doing. If you're talking about free diving, you have to trust your own reason. You have to trust your body. You have to trust that you've done the work and you've, you've practiced this enough to know and understand the sensations that come up in, in yourself when, when you're down that deep. And I, I think with interactions with animals, you have to trust that we're all part of this larger thing on, on the planet. And even though we view animals in the sea as meat or as pests, they've been here so much longer than we have. There's pretty good supporting evidence that suggests that they are as intelligent or more intelligent than we are. And I think we have a lot to learn from them. So I, you have to trust that intelligence and trust that intuition when, when you're down there and you're having these, these connections. And I, you know, personally, when you're, when you're diving with whales, this is a, an animal that could kill you in 20 different ways within a fraction of a second and it chooses not to. It chooses to come to you in peace. And so you have to then trust that moment and, and that it is going to accept you and not do to you what we've done to them. And uh, there's a lot of communication happening uh, with whales 
at that time. At least I've, I've experienced it. Right. So that brings us back to like the actual click effect, right? That there is a form of communication that um, it seems like we were not even able to really hear the language of whales as much when we're down there with our own boats, our own machinery. Um, is that right? Like we can't even record it in the same way? No, we can't. You can't hear him in the same way. You can't see him in the same way. You can't experience him in the same way. There's just like the, the difference between us meeting in Zoom versus meeting in person, right? There's, and you can't put your finger on it. It's like, I'm seeing you as well as, almost as well as I'd see you in person. You know, we're interacting. Still a different experience. So, so what is that thing, that, that connection when you have when someone's actually in a room? And nothing's going to be able to replace that. You know, Zoom, Skype, they're pretty close, but it still feels just like wallpaper, like a veneer. So it's the same thing. It, you can record whale, whale clicks uh, from a boat and get very high quality audio. But to me, it's that interaction and recording those clicks within the interaction, provoking an interaction and seeing what these animals do, which I think is is interesting um, and can really provide some insights that, that other forms of research may not. It's a fascinating world that you've started to explore there. And you mentioned it like the way we see whales classically or, or any kind of underwater mammals and animals is as, yeah, like as objects, right? And so this is one of the questions I love to ask on Green Planet, Blue Planet, which is about humanity's ability to learn from past mistakes. Like, let's say that would be one of those mistakes that we've seen other animals as, as, as things almost, right? Like, what do, you, what do you reckon does it actually take for us as a species to mature to the place where we can acknowledge past mistakes? Yeah, you know, that's a tough one because which mistakes, which, which first million mistakes, you know, are, are we going to tackle here? I see so much of what we've been doing is so wrong for so long. Um, the only good thing to come out of this chaotic time right now, hopefully, will be real systemic change. Uh, it needed to happen sooner or later, and it was going at a snail's pace before, so hopefully this is going to really speed that up and, and make it happen on a larger scale. I mean, to me, I think it's fascinating just to see what happens after a couple months of, of not consuming like we've been consuming. Look what happens to the air quality. Look what happens to the animals coming coming out of the wild and back in the city street. To me, that's so so beautiful. And if we were just able to to accommodate them and, and work in harmony with these animals, I, everyone would be so much better off. But there's so many bozos out in the world. I won't dwell on the uh, on the negative parts. Um, I was just reading. I was just starting to read uh, Thomas Kuhn's book about scientific revolutions, and his premise. I'm probably butchering this is that it doesn't really matter how much science you have backing something up. If the moment in culture is not the right moment, it's just gonna continue to be ignored over and over and over again. And you can see that from, you know, uh, heliocentric uh, standpoint, Copernicus. You could see that with what's happening now with climate change. We've known about this since the 70s, but nothing's happened. There's been no, no real movement to stop it. So those two things have to work. Yeah, you need the data, but you also need this pivotal moment when he, he was able to make the phrase paradigm shift famous. He's, he's the guy who made it famous, where everything suddenly shifts. And I think that we're at the, the precipice of, of that moment right now in our understanding of our body, 
and our understanding of the health and hopefully our understanding of our integration within the planet. Yeah, beautiful. I like how you, how you guided us there. It's, it's an interesting phenomenon that even though things are quite obvious from one angle, the timing for change requires like a form of opportunity. I think another way to say it is like um, in the Greek, in the Greek words, it, it, I think they called it kairos, kairos being um, like that opportune moment where something truly becomes possible. Mm. Very interesting. Well, because I know you've traveled a lot, even though right now very few of us are flying. I just, you know, would love to know if you were to, it's probably hard to pick just three, but if you were to tell me three places on this planet that you just fell in love with, or there's something about them, or there's something magical that you experienced, what would be those three places? Well, then people would go and find these places and ruin them, right? So now you've really put me in a pickle. Do I want to tell the truth or, or lie? I would say Las Vegas, Cancun, and Monte Carlo. Uh, go there, everybody. Go to Disney World. Now, um, uh, you know, I've set up my life in such a way that travel and meeting people and going all over the world is is an essential part of my being. And it's, it's a part of my fabric and I love it so much. And I've been lucky enough to work a job that allows me for my job. I have to travel and go to these weird places, talk to these weird people. It's just awesome. So this has been, you know, I know so many other people are in so much deeper hardship than than I am. Oh, I can't travel. Poor, poor me. But, but it has affected me psychically, uh, not to have that connection with people. So, you know, uh, a place I <laughs> kind of hesitating mentioning this, but hopefully your listeners will go to this place and respect it. Uh, Greece is a very special place to me. And there are a few islands, which I, I won't disclose the name of them, um, that have a vibe and I don't know a better word to describe than that that I've never felt before and and a connection to these these places and those are places I've gone to a few times I haven't written about I haven't really told too many people about but I think those places in which human culture was so strong and so powerful for so long definitely leave leave their mark if you ever go to to Delphi and in, in Greece, up in the mountains. It is one of the heaviest, I'm not the only person, you show up there and you're like, what is going on? There is definitely feeling there. Uh, I miss Mexico a lot, um, several places in Mexico. It's so close for, for me to go there. Um, and I really feel like I've been going there forever, surfing, everything. Um, and I miss, uh, I miss Panama, uh, which is the way Costa Rica was 20, 20 years ago, you know? So um, just a really special place. And again, I, I think it's to expose yourself. There's, I could give you two dozen other places, cities oh, I bet, that I yeah. absolutely love. Um, but it's, it's to place yourself in a foreign environment. There, there's no better feeling of freedom to me than to walk out a door of a city or a town or a place I don't know and just have nothing to do for a few hours. I mean, it is true freedom and have just see where the road is gonna take you. So uh, who knows how long this thing is gonna go on, mm. but uh, I, I can't wait to get back on the road and have more of those experiences. Yeah, beautiful. That That's kind of why I asked you, and funny to, to hear you choosing whether or not to disclose all of the locations, but just this joy that, um, you know, the adventurer soul has to to be somewhere be exposed to something new be exposed to uncertainty right 
um, and not knowing what is, but kind of just exploring uh, very much has formed my life in the last 20 years as well. And not traveling was surprisingly a positive experience, but at the same time, I miss a lot of places. So really, really curious to hear that back. To me, it, it ties into breathing and it ties into diving. So the point about breathing and practicing these different breathing techniques is to be flexible. You can be flexible so you can hold your breath and not freak out. You can be flexible so you can breathe really heavy and not freak out. And it's this flexibility to, to have high levels of CO2 in our bloodstream or low levels of CO2 or a lot of oxygen or not that really distinguishes good athletes to great athletes, the people who can really take control of this. And it's the same thing with mental health. Uh, people with anxiety and asthma can't do this. So uh, be, they have a very limited uh, level of acceptance in the, in the way that they breathe. So, and free diving too, it's, it's about going into the water and not freaking out. So, so travel would be miserable if you're a control freak and it's easy to become a control freak around your house when everything is within, you know, you're planning everything out, you're planning your meals, this is where my cup goes, and travel mixes that whole thing off. So if you've ever traveled with a control freak, you're gonna see the most miserable person on the planet because nothing's in their control. So to me, I've found that this is a quick way snapping out of that saying, I don't have control, so I'm gonna be flexible and see where this place takes me. I love it, this is a great, a great explanation. Yeah, travel is something joyful. I have another two or three questions here for you, James. And one of them is about purpose and this idea of purpose. It's totally a buzzword right now, but it feels like when I talk to you, that is a very clear experience rather than a mental idea or, you know, a mental identification. So in your own words, like how would you unpack the word and the experience of purpose? I think that I'm able to understand and appreciate that term because before I started doing what I do, I spent years and years in a corporate environment, working corporate jobs and wearing corporate clothes and making corporate money and, and all that. And, you know, it was very, um, from a societal viewpoint, it was, it was a successful lifestyle. But there, me personally, I found no purpose in doing that. When it comes on down to it, what's, what's going to be on your your headstone, right? <laughs> that, that you, you were able to just sneak by and, and do a job you didn't like, but, but that paid your rent or paid your mortgage, or do you want to contribute to something? And so uh, to me, the word purpose is very closely correlated with, with contribution, both contribution to your own growth and to other people's growth. And if those two things come together, if what you're doing and what you're benefiting from, what you're learning from, you're able to convey that to someone else so they can benefit and learn and come into that world with you. To me, that's, that's really the, the greatest gift and something that I, that I really hope to achieve in some of the stuff that I do. And when I get those notes from people, it, uh, it makes my day. You know, you've spent so long working so hard, years and years on this thing. You've seen the benefits in yourself and just to have that reflected on other people is really gratifying. Yeah, beautiful. Let, let's let that sink in. I, I really like what you shared there. You know, especially knowing the other side of it where you're just doing a thing to do it. Once you stepped out of that, and I think everyone listening has already in their life, no matter where you're at, like there is a taste of that, right? When we do something that deeply resonates with our soul's essence, with that 
that reason of being raison d'être, like the French say, or, or, you know, just even the reason why we're on the planet, everything changes. Yeah, I agree. And this is by no means passing judgment on anyone who has a day job. I've, I've been there, right? <laughs> and I, I was there for a long time, years and years. It's within that day job, try to affect that, that change and try to have that purpose. And then on your off hours, try to establish that purpose. And I really feel that it's mutually beneficial for, for yourself, for your own mind, and for other people around you to want to contribute and to push this thing forward. We need this now more than Hello, ever. Short intermission. This is your host, Julian, for a short announcement. Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast is currently entirely self-funded from my private coaching practice and work in the world, speaking at events and teaching breathwork, meditation, as well as facilitating leadership programs. If you're at a place in your life where you're ready to level up, step forward and be all in, then this might just be for you. Have you considered hiring a coach or is it time to find someone who deeply cares for the same evolutionary revolution on our planet? If that's the case, I'm your guy. As a transformational coach, I've worked with hundreds of people at events and in person via weekly calls over various months. I'm in service to switch on humans just like you who are on the cutting edge of some of the most progressive stuff on planet Earth. And if that's not quite you yet, but that's the dream inside of you, then even more reason to reach out. Well, whether you are a successful entrepreneur, a startup founder, or an artist, I am here to support more people to deepen their planetary purpose. I've developed highly tailored coaching programs that are based on bringing out your gift into the world because I believe in a world in which we can empower and encourage all individuals to express their unique gifts. And all right, before we get back to the episode, make sure you visit my website, greenplanet-blueplanet.com slash mentorships, or simply find your way there by clicking work with Julian and book a free consultation with me. And if you listen to the end of the episode, I will give away a discount for listeners only. So here we go. We're returning to today's episode. Yeah. How do you personally choose optimism like that? Like, you know, the world, if you look at it from a like mind perspective, some people are overwhelmed with all that craziness that's going on and the intensity of it. But how do you choose optimism or how do you find that place? It's hard to find optimism. I mean, especially now it, it, it is. But if we're going to survive as a species, you have to hope that someone's going to get their shit together at some time and, and we're going to start working together in a reasonable way. Like nothing makes sense now, politically, structurally, culturally, in medicine, in nutrition. If you look at the, the larger structures working here, none of this makes sense. The good thing about this is you just look at what's happened in history. So I grew up on just awful food, canned foods, wrapped foods, frozen foods, crappy food, thinking that this was, you know, Capri Suns, just fruit juice, sunny delight, <laughs> like thinking this stuff is normal to eat. And if you think about the revolution that's happened in food and the thinking around food, in the last 15 years, it's been tremendous. People are going to farmer's markets. They know what foods are actually good for you. They're no longer listening to the government food pyramid that says we need to eat a bunch of bread and pasta every day. You, you know, it's completely been revised, but it, it wasn't revised from governments. It was revised by people doing work and scientists risking, you know, their jobs and their tenures to, to, show, to show the truth here. So 
you see this bubbling up now and, and with our technology, I think so much more of this truth is, is able to be disseminated more quickly. So uh, the same thing's happening with medicine and, and our view of the body. Uh, for so long, we've been told certain things that just were not true. It's not good to eat sugar on occasion. Like that's not normal to snore. <laughs> and, and finally, people just got so fed up to it that there's this huge movement to find the real truth of what human health means. And so you see these cycles starting up now more than ever. And it's probably gonna be pretty sloppy for the next few years, but hopefully on the other side of this, we're gonna have a much better sustainable system for ourselves and the planet. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. This decade is, is definitely a make it or break it. But I also think you know, there's gonna be continued intensity for us to face. James, I have a last question for you. And that is, you know, it's a question that made me start this podcast, actually. And if we zoom out a little further than just 10 years, right? If we want to explore what kind of ancestors we are for the future children of this planet. So the question for you is, what is your Earth vision in the context of seven generations? Ah, that's, that's heavy because my usual earth vision in seven generations isn't too good. But if I had a, if I had a good one, which I would love to think about right now, uh, it would be that we would manage to work with the systems of the planet, these ancient systems, which have worked for millions and millions of years to support life, millions of species of life for for so long to be able to work within these systems instead of working against them and trying to elbow our way and make shortcuts into all of this it's so much of the science and engineering we're trying to develop has already been developed <laughs> in nature and so you if you look at nature and look at its systems of uh you know of of growth of sustainability um of harmony, it, it's so obvious that that's the direction we need to go in. And as you said, it is make it or break it. To me, it's like either we adapt to these dominant systems or we're gonna get rolled. And we're seeing what's happening right now when we don't adapt to these systems, when we try to do our own thing, it's bad news for everybody. So I, I just, I believe what's happening now is this huge wake up call to get our act in order and so we can have a sustainable and 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 beautiful future wow i'm i'm in for that i'm in for that sustainable and beautiful future you know one breath at a time it's i guess our job to to face it and i, I love what you're saying about these systems you call them dominant systems of nature because humans have tried to dominate everything and exploit everything. And we see the repercussions of that. They don't feel good. They don't look good on the long term. And we know that, you know, this planet can, this planet can hold 8 billion people, but this planet cannot hold 8 billion people living like Americans. And so there's quite a bit of adjustment we need to make. Yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, it's holding 7 billion people now and it's a bit of a disaster. And what I mean by dominant systems is we may get a, edge on it for a little while but we will get absolutely thrown down in the long run you learn this surfing you the second you start getting cocky, like i got this stuff down bring on a big wave i'm ready to roll you will get so destroyed if you have that attitude and i view that situation uh, very identical to what happens on land 
you start getting cocky, think you've got things figured out, and sooner or later you're going to get rolled. And we're getting rolled pretty pretty hard right now for for all of this cockiness. And so it's it's a big wake up call for us. And uh, I really believe that on the other side of this, on the other side of this next decade, we can really prosper in some in some nice ways. Yeah, I love the surf metaphor. That just really hit home for me. All right, James, thank you so much for your time. I highly recommend checking out your new book, Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art. It's really worth the read. Thanks for teasing a little bit of it. Very much appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. And here we are again. This is your host, Julian. I hope you truly enjoyed this episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast and received some insights and knowledge for your life, relationships, and business. If you love Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, make sure to subscribe, leave a review that really allows this podcast to reach a broader audience and share it with a friend. Let me also remind you that this podcast is currently entirely self-funded. I'm a transformational coach and mentor, a breathwork guide, and want to offer all my listeners a full 10% off my private coaching work. That is as much as $500 for a three-month program and this discount applies for all one-on-one coaching offers, as well as some select coaching groups that I host in person. If you're curious and interested, make sure to visit the website greenplanet-blueplanet.com and click Work with Julian. Let me tell you a little bit more about my planetary purpose and leadership programs. I am committed to accelerating our human tribe, going deep into unconditioning the blocking beliefs and blind spots, enabling your gifts and clarity to amplify for aligned business, healthy relationships, and overall presence with life. I have worked with hundreds of people across the world, either one-on-one in small coaching groups online or in-person at events. It is my gift to boost authentic confidence and guide you while asking the deepest questions that get you to address your dormant potential. I am an activator and catalyst for those who are ready to step into the highest version of themselves. We live in unique times and let me tell you from experience, having a coach makes a massive difference. I specialize on supporting successful entrepreneurs in unpacking their purpose and joy of life. I do work with startup entrepreneurs and artists as well and on request I host individual breathwork mentorships. If you want to learn more, how to support the show or suggest a guest, you can also simply send me an email. If you want to take advantage of the offer I just mentioned and claim the 10% discount, simply book a free consultation with me through my website that is greenplanet-blueplanet.com mentorships and mention the end of episode discount and I'll give the discount code to you right here, right now. It's 808. That's right. That's your code right here, right now, 808. Mention it to me in our free consultation that you can book by the website and 10% are yours. That being said, thank you so much for listening today. Have yourself an amazing day. Don't forget to hit subscribe, review the show, and share it with a friend. Mm -hmm.